Welcome to the Small Business Wake-Up Call, the twice-weekly podcast that will open your eyes to the kinds of insights you can use to better run your business. Come have your morning Joe with hosts Lonnie Shambi and Stan Simpkins, who have the right recipes and ingredients to easily help you cook up a storm for even your toughest competitor. No lectures, no wasting your time telling you how smart they are, and no bullshit. The Small Business Wake-Up Call is going to make you think, laugh, and help you recognize how much money you've been leaving on the table with advice that'll help you improve your quality of life. Lonnie and Stan are small business veterans who will share their individual war stories and experiences, not only from their own businesses, but also from guiding hundreds of other small business owners in over 100 industries. Head on over to sbvirtualroundtables.com where you can connect with Lonnie and Stan and save yourself some headaches. Grab that second cup of joe, or maybe something a bit stronger, and let's see what's on the menu for today. Welcome to the Small Business Wake-Up Call, and here are your hosts, with cups in hand, Lonnie Shambi and Stan Simpkins. Welcome to the third chapter of our podcast. Today, we're going to continue our in-depth review of the five M's, manpower, management team, marketing and sales, money, machines and systems, which we presented in our last podcast as well as the overriding sixth M mindset that affects each one of these. Today, Stan and I will talk about management and how the management team and small business owners often end up feeling trapped. And for sure, we don't see eye to eye all the time on this one. Dr. Simpkins, it's all yours. (laughs) I got a promotion. Well, just in the interest of honesty, I don't have a PhD. The only thing I have a doctrine is my email address, stan at fambizdoc.com. And on my, <laughs> on my license plate I used to have, fambizdoc. But thank you anyway, Lonnie. Unless I get an increase in pay, maybe I would go for that. Right. So it's interesting, Lonnie. You and I, we always, in our recordings, we talk about management team, yet we also keep telling people it's not about management, it's about leadership. Leading versus managing. You lead people. Imagine things. I know our audience have heard that probably to the point where they're sick of hearing it anymore. But as an overview of what we're going to cover today on the management team, we're going to talk about the owner and their own perspective, organizational structure, the middle management team, ownership and how that comes into play, their leadership style, and even succession planning. So when I talk about the management team, we all have heard that expression, something poop goes downhill. And it's the same in organizational structure and people, the management team. We look at the owner, and the owners hire us, and they go, and they point to people, and they go, hey, help me go fix those people. And of course, we say, sure, but then where do we start with the owner? Because ultimately, it's going to start at the top. We'd like to believe that organizations come from the bottom up, but it's really at the top down, ultimately, because the leader sets the pace, sets the direction, the tone. And yet... Do owners really know what their own style is? Do, are they really conscious about their personality traits and how they influence their mindset and decision-making? Owner self-awareness is really the preface before owner self-assessment. Because if they're not self-aware, they're not going to be able to really understand where they are. They're not going to be able to really understand where their strengths and their weaknesses lie. Because what they've got to do is they've got to learn how to leverage their strengths and then hire for their weaknesses. I had a client, it's interesting, one of the family things I had, two brothers, 
one who could sell like you could not believe. But he couldn't do anything beyond that except back off his kind of little stuff. But God, he could bring it in and he had the vision for the business. The other brother was down in the dirt. I mean, in the details like you can't believe. Now, if I could clone each of them or slam them together, we would have one good owner. Instead, we had one half ugly owner, another half ugly owner, and (laughs) their business never went anywhere. It just kept bouncing around two and a half million three, then back to two. And that's the story. Because they didn't really understand or leverage their strengths. And most small business owners are simply afraid to hire for their weakness because it shows their weakness. For example, some of them are great salespeople, but really, really shitty implementers. Lonnie, when you start talking about understanding yourself as an owner, and as a leader, I can think of some stories where I had some really unhappy clients who got kind of angry at me. I'm a big believer in utilizing personality profiles and assessing potential employees. And of course, that's a whole subject of its own. So we're not going to get into that because there's good, bad, and ugly. That may be a good session. That may be a good session for us to do. Well, there might be something. In fact, when we ask our audience, if you'd like to learn more about that whole subject of personality profiles, pop us an email at info at sbvirtualroundtables.com. But moving back to that topic, what I would often do is have clients agree to do a personality profile on their own. And they, oh yeah, sure. And then I'd say, then I'm going to ask the profiler who doesn't know it's the owner. We'd give him a fictitious name and we'd ask the profiler, would you recommend we hire this person as the CEO? Okay. <laughs> and need I tell you, no, I had you some don't. pretty unhappy clients based bet. upon the feedback they got from the bet. profiler. Right? <laughs> now, after the client got over the shock and humiliation of the response, I go, I didn't say it, they did. <laughs> but you got to pay for it. It's now, right. my suggestion is based upon this and everything I've been telling you over the past several months, Will you now agree to let me help you find a general manager? You can keep the title, but you're not happy and it's not your fault. Not yet. It'll be your fault if you don't listen to me. That's it. But I'm going to give you a way to be happy. You'll still own the company. You'll still ultimately call the ultimate shots because it's your money. But you don't need the daily grind. It's not your thing. Picasso is Picasso. He's not a Picasso of a chain of Picassos. This is interesting because it leads us into the next topic, and that is org structure. Organizational structure is fascinating because in most small businesses, it's the owner and everyone else. The worker bees. How have you experienced that one, Stan? Well, I suspect it's a lot different than what you did. Now, you were doing turnarounds for some pretty big companies, I suspect. No, not big. All small. Oh, really? All sub $25 million companies. Oh, okay. I always thought it was bigger. Well, oh, no, no. The reality is, in small businesses, the organizational structure depends on what day of the week it is. One day, I'm the trash cleaner. I'm bottom of the pole. I report to nobody. And at the top, I'm the CEO, and I still don't report to anybody. In fact, that's why a lot of people become owners, so they don't have to report to anybody. That's that accountability that's thing. But the fact is, I have yet to see 
very many small businesses ever present to me their written organizational chart. Oh, and yes. when they verbally describe it to me, it doesn't take me long to show the owner what I see, which is not in conformity with what they just got done telling me. That is the reality doesn't match the theory. Exactly. So how do we make our money as consultants? Hint to the audience. The organizational chart in most companies is, as Lonnie mentioned, the owners and the worker bees. And the middle is nothing. It's called whatever the day is. And what we do is we help the owner to get comfortable with empowering the existing team he has to utilize the authority that the owner claims they gave them that the employees aren't. Now, just as a matter of point, sometimes the employees aren't because they're copping out and the owner's letting them cop out from exercising their authority, not just the responsibility. And other times the owner is inadvertently interfering with the employee exercising that authority. We kind of know that one. The interesting thing is that you and I've had many conversations about this and accountability is an interesting buzzword. But what it is, is you define the job, you give them the authority and the resources to carry it out, you can hold them accountable. But here's the important thing. This is back to the point Stan's making. And that is, when you give them authority, give them authority. Don't give them what I call authority on a string. That is, you give them authority and then, oh, it's not working the way I want. Pull it back and say, I'll make that decision. Soon as you do that, game's over in terms of accountability. What you've done is you have undermined your own authority. Now, Lonnie, you know that owners don't do that. I know. They're never taking the authority away. They just share it with the employees. <laughs> so that the employees <laughs> that they work with are totally confused as to what they're supposed to do. Who are they going to listen to? And it's not because they're a bad owner. They're just looking out for the best interest of the company. Or it's a habit. So if I can just pick up on that, you have often said the Tom Peters, Jim Collins, good to great, get the right people on the bus. And yet oftentimes you have the right people on the bus, but the bus is going in the wrong direction, running out of gas, and running on flat tires. How can that happen to a company when the fact is, as we prove to the client, they do have the right people in the bus? Talk about roles and how that affects it. They don't have a vision. They don't have a plan. See, most of the time, they have their head down and they're working it and we don't have time to plan. No. What you do, and what I do with most of my clients is not put a, it's not this big business plan. No. It's what I want to call with them a battle plan. And I want to give them that metaphor. I want them to be in the battlefield with incoming. And so they can't go back to the war room and strategize. No. And the battle plan can change day to day if it has to. Okay? But make sure that everybody is aware of that plan. That's all. It's interesting because I can pick up on that. So I had this home remodeling client and had two boys, sons in the business, really nice guys, very competent in terms of their motivation and their intelligence and things like that, knowledge of the business. But they were each forever fighting and basically just reaming each other out for their allegedly poor performance. So I was brought in by the parents to help them deal with just this. This is what they originally hired me for. Now, the fact is, as you know, we're hired for one thing, but invariably when we get inside the body and open up the chest and the back, we see a whole lot more going inside the anatomy than what they think they are calling us in for. 
But in this particular case, I'm focusing on that. And after I spent a little time getting to know them and what their roles were and what was the legitimacy of the complaints that were made about each, I decided they were right. If I was their boss critiquing their performance, I'd be bitching about it too. But then I had a thought and I said, you guys, I want you to take a personality profile. And I did it. And the person I use, I've been using for a couple of decades. I had great reliability in what he's doing. And even though we did it for hiring other employees, and it's a tool, it's not something, it's not the yes or no of hiring, but it's a tool. It gave me insights to them that I was going to probably take months to get anecdotally. And based upon that, I walked in one day and said, I'd like to propose the following. You, Mr. X, who's a salesperson, basically, and you, Mr. B, the other brother, who's the production manager, I want you to swap jobs. And what happened? The smile on their face. They totally got it. They were in the wrong roles because of their personality traits. Why? Because the guy who was a pushover, and we had another word that starts with a P, but we won't say it. Yes. Who was in the field was letting the workforce just be unproductive as hell, so to speak. They weren't bad, but they weren't as good as they could be because they did quality work, that much I'll say. And the kid who was the salesperson was really not very nice. <laughs> and it showed in how he talked to customers or prospects. And they weren't bad guys. That was just their style. They just in the wrong role. So by That's... switching them around, this is a true, true story that it was amazing the consequence. It looked like I was a miracle worker. And all it was is that simple. So oftentimes, we'll be firing people or reprimanding them when it's our fault. We put them in the wrong thing, and it happens all the time in family businesses. The tragedy of what happens in the family business among family members, and all it was was they were put in the wrong position. And how's it happen, Lonnie? Because family members are disposable sometimes. We give them such regard. Hey, Bob, you're available. You go do that role. They've been doing the same thing for 20, 25, 30, 40 years, and they don't know any better. And they think, hey, it worked. It's been working since grandpa did it. Why wouldn't it work today? Well, wait a second. Do you think the market's changed a little bit? you think times have changed a little bit? Yes, of course they have. So I'm one of the audience and I'm listening. I'm saying, all right, I don't have a general manager. I don't have a middle manager. I'm buying in. I'm going out and getting me one. What's the mistake that they oftentimes make when it comes to that pedigree? People will talk about, oh, I need a layer of management. I need somebody managing the technology guys. I need somebody managing the sales guys because we got more than two of them. And the thing is, it's really important to understand that when you're doing this, you're delegating just the way you would define roles and responsibilities. You're giving them authority and you're giving them the resources to carry it out. And usually that's not the way it initially happens. It becomes a funnel from you, the owner, to the employees. And it skips right through the manager. And that, I'm sure in a family business, Dan, that happens all the time. In a normal small business, the managers are not brought in to leverage the strengths of the owner or correct the weaknesses. They're brought in because they think they need middle management. They don't. I'm thinking of the small business owner who hires their first general manager and they're looking at resumes and they're looking for diplomas and big company experience. They figure, well, if they work for this $50 million company, 
it'll probably be 10 times easier to run it for my $5 million company. No. <laughs> no. You and I both know that. When you go to hire, you hire for culture, of course, but it's a culture of a small business. So if they've got no small business experience, run away from them. Do not hire them. Are you suggesting that, as a general rule, those who come from very large companies try to bring their culture to the small business as if they're the same? Get out of here. No, no, that's not possible. <laughs> of course I'm saying that. It happens every single time. And the owner this doesn't understand, oh, wait, he, this guy knocked me out. He went to Harvard and he ran this $150 million division and you're surprised that he couldn't run your little $5 million company? I guess that's why they make you start out as lieutenant in the army before you get to become general. <laughs> exactly. That's how <laughs> it works. They don't have the black and blue marks that you have. No, but they don't have a sensitivity to the fact that there's not going to be an assistant outside their office. They're going to have to do their own work. They're going to have to read their own emails. Lonnie, we got about 10 minutes here, so I'm going to move on to ownership, if you don't mind, because I want no, to make sure no, please. give our audience their We don't do. want to leave anything on the table here. You and I, the only thing we're missing in our production here is our Cracker Barrel, I think. <laughs> we got to talk to the producer and see if we can get a Cracker Barrel. Can we get a Cracker Barrel? Yeah, that's and it. You'd be kind of like the Clackett Brothers here on the Car Talk. Clack, yes. But not as much humor, I suspect. No, probably not. So not let's yet. say we do all the good stuff that we talked about. We still know we got a problem called keeping them. And we always hear about ownership and making people stock. Everyone's a piece of the action and the equity. And I got to tell you, I hear people giving very bad advice to small business owners, not because it's theoretically wrong, but in the real world that I've lived, it doesn't seem to work. What are our options? Even the ones that we are challenging, if you will, let's talk. You talk about whatever's on your mind and I'll add whatever you're missing. How's that? Well, yeah. I mean, see, I believe in employee ownership. That said, I'm not saying... I believe in the structure because if you start to put employees into the structure of the business, you're asking for trouble. I mean, Stan and I both agree with this one. If you haven't heard of it already, it's not new. It's called phantom stock. And go look up phantom stock plans. And you know what they are? They're really bonus plans disguised as stock. Well, Lonnie, we also have to share that. The bad news is there's no phantom and there's, and there's no stock. And there's no stock. <laughs> and there's no plan. And there's, well, it's three there's words a, that are absolutely lies. There's a plan. But see, <laughs> the whole idea of this is to tie results into dollars. If we can drive to this objective, there's going to be this much in the bonus pool. However it's paid out, what have you. Let me tell you one interesting story on ownership. I did a turnaround of a small cap company years ago that was bouncing around $5 million. Its stock was traded by appointment, and it never made any money. I knew the chairman. It was a guy I knew years ago, and he asked me to come in and fix it. So kind of looked around. We had six consecutive record quarters, and I put a bonus plan in as soon as we walked in, and it was about 25% made up of dollars, 75% made up of stock options and, and the like. And this is, with public stuff, you could do this. 
But nobody was excited about it. We'd made the stock move about 120% from the time he came in. And everything was based on that. So I used to always have a one-on-one with every employee, usually once a quarter. And so I started with this and I said, guys, why am I not here in excitement here? Oh, we don't have enough money to pay for that. Oh, no, 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 no. That's not how it's going to work. And I had to explain it. And once I explained it, then we've got buy-in. It's the same thing with Phantom Stock. It's the same thing with any kind of bonus plan. Explain it. Explain how it impacts them. That's it. Simple. Boom. Phantom Stock has been around, I would say, at least the concept is around 50 years, I would easy, say. Easy. Easy. And I don't hear a lot of people talking about it, and most people don't understand it, yet it's a phenomenal approach. And it's not just, quote, a bonus program. It emulates having a stock yes. from an economic standpoint. But doesn't screw up. And it has a lot up. of other tax yeah. benefits that you're not going to get from some of these other things. So I would just tell our audience, when it comes time for you to even entertain this discussion, make sure somebody brings up the topic. And if the person that you're asking, whether it's an attorney or CPA is glazing over, you probably need to talk to somebody else. Absolutely. You don't want to be their first client, if you will, on no. that issue. But it's been around a long, long time. So I'm thinking we hear about some others. I was introduced by a gentleman who was in the lumber business, and he called it employee cooperative. But that's something I heard about. I'm not going to go into it here, but I just throw it out to our audience in the interest of disclosing as much as we know. But if you haven't heard the term, go Google it and learn a little bit about it. From all that I could tell, there might be some viability. And of course, there's ESOPs, which is a whole different animal. Oh, yeah, so yeah. Employee stock ownership plans. We're not attorneys. I'm a CPA, but I don't give tax or accounting advice. Exactly. I would I just mean, tell you, just learn about it because there is a place in our society for this more often. I don't know if we want to go back and talk a little more about leadership style. Have you exhausted that at all, Lonnie? Anything we missed on that? I think we've touched on it. I just, the important thing here is with this is, There's a difference between being a leader and being a boss. What a leader wants to do is lead you, is to take you, show you the place where you need to go and help you get there. What a boss does is he keeps you on the straight and narrow. And that's also the difference between a coach and a director. A coach is somebody who helps you along the way. And these are management styles, It's kind of the stuff that Stan was talking about before. A coach is somebody who listens and then maybe offers a question or two. A director says, this is the way we're doing it. So with a few minutes we have left, Lonnie, I think we probably should end with our final topic that actually, if you think of the expression, start with the end in mind. Yes. Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Stephen Covey. That's actually the beginning of our podcast, theoretically. Because ultimately, we're all going to die or become disabled or want to retire. So you'd be thinking, we'd be thinking about that. And yet we know that's oftentimes the most neglected. I think of a client of mine that did everything right, but he kept waiting a little too long and I kept pressing him. And what happened? He got a terrible disease. It wasn't cancer. He wasn't going to die. Worse than that, he would just suffer every day for the rest of his life because what he had was essentially not treatable. He was in pain, and he went downhill so fast. I would almost use the word overnight, but even though it was really a few months. But within that time frame, any plan to ultimately transfer the business to the daughter, who probably needed a few more years of prepping, went down the drain. I won't 
be a death. But I would just tell you this. Just like owners are guilty of not firing people soon enough, they hold on too long, they wait too long to create and actually implement, keyword implement, their succession plan. And I tell people, whatever your plan is, whatever you 100% believe in, cut it down in time. Give yourself some breathing room in case shit happens, as they say. This yes. a terrible story. We had done miracles with this company, and all that went down the drain because of health change. Just like that. The same thing there with exit planning. Most people's idea of an exit plan is somebody knocks on the door and says, you want to sell your company. They'd never given it any thought. I ascribe to this, if you look up anything with me on LinkedIn or whatever, it's about the end game. And the end game is not just how much money you get. It's really where you're headed and making sure that's what it's about. And succession planning is a big part of that end game. Because when you sell your company, here's the way you have to think about that. It's like putting one of your children up for adoption. Think about it. Because that's what it is. You've raised this business for 25 years, and it's going to go and be in somebody else's business place, in somebody else's house. It's going to happen when they sell the business for less than they could have gotten Yes, they had the time. And they have to sit around and wait and watch as actually their child has now been adopted by somebody else, and they have to watch that parent raise them. So if you've got a question on management, management structure, and the things we talked about today, please send your email to info at SB, like small business, virtualroundtables.com. Lonnie, before we close out this podcast session, let's do a 30-second recap. Today, we've discussed how owners get feelings of being trapped, how the organizational structure of many small businesses contributes to that dilemma, why many small business owners unknowingly trap themselves, why leadership style can make a difference between being a prisoner or a happy camper in your business, and lastly, what you can do to set yourself free by addressing such things as accountability, vision, hiring right and hiring for the right culture, and reviewing your succession and exit planning. Lonnie, I know you've been waiting the whole session to tell our audience what our next podcast is going to be about. Ah, the next session? The next session is in my wheelhouse. No, 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 not that one. That's not prime time. For oh, oh, radio okay. TV. All right, right. Oh, oh, the other one. Yes, yeah, the okay. Other one, right. The next session is about marketing and sales. And what we're not going to give you is, we're not going to show you how to do comp plans. No and, sales tips. And the like. no, no sales tips. No closing no. techniques. No. Uh-uh. But what we are going to do is show you how marketing and sales are joined at the hip. And if you don't work one, it doesn't work the other. Guys, all of you out there, have a great time. And we'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Small Business Wake-Up Call, the podcast providing eye-opening insights and perhaps a caffeine high to better run your business, delivered in Stan Simpkins and Lonnie Shambi's own unique style. Head on over to sbvirtualroundtables.com where you can connect with Lonnie and Stan, subscribe to the show, find more resources, and check out their monthly 90-minute virtual roundtables. Thanks for listening to the Small Business Wake-Up Call. 